ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. Thank you so much. Wherever you are, however you're taking in our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeart, whatever it might be, thank you for making us a part of your Memphis Grizzlies fan experience, your game day experience more than likely as you wake up with this in your podcast uh, download box on a Thursday It's going to be a big, big, big day. Of course, the basketball gods are smiling upon us. The NBA is back, and the Grizzlies are back to work, taking on the Sacramento Kings, beginning a pretty important four-game West Coast and then Texas uh, road trip to start the post-All-Star slate. Ways to get in touch with the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joe Mullinax. You can follow our podcast here, GBB Live, at GBB Live. You can follow... Uh, the awesome blog that I have the privilege of running grizzlybearblues.com for SB nation at SBN Grizzlies. And you can follow my co-host who is joining us now uh, a, a pretty big podcast here. Mr. Paca underscore Flocka on Twitter, Parker Fleming, the associate editor of grizzlybearblues.com. Uh, did you enjoy the breather or are you ready to get back to work Parker? Uh, um, I would say it was a decent little breather. I enjoyed it. Uh, got some nice um, post All Star break centric features up, so it was good. Kind of just like you know, decompress, not have to go from my nine to five job straight downtown to cover a game. So that was pretty nice. Yeah, and and in a good way, I guess that break kind of continues because the Grizzlies are on the road so much here coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, I, they have four games on the road to start their post all-star schedule. Then they have two at home and then they're on the road for three again. Uh, lots of road games on the horizon for Memphis. Uh, this episode of the show, we're really excited about it. We have two tremendous guests later on in the podcast. We're going to have our Omari, excuse me, Sankofa of the athletic does an awesome job over there. He and Peter Edmiston leading the Grizzlies charge for the athletic Memphis Uh, We're going to talk to him about a variety of Grizzlies topics. We're going to put him on his spot, feet to the fire, get a record prediction out of him. I'm excited to hear what he says about that. He's probably going to kick and scream uh, when we ask him to do it. Uh, It's a pretty challenging thing, but we'll talk to him about that. Gorgie Dang, a lot of other fun things with Omari in our segment after this one. But first and foremost, I want to make sure that we pay proper respect to our guest in this first segment. She is one of the very best Twitter followers out there if you don't already do so. I highly recommend that you do at Sharon Shy Brown. Uh, she's currently the Shy Mambasita. Uh, I like that name there uh, above the Twitter handle. She's one of the Grizzlies beat writers for the Memphis Flyers Beyond the Arc Grizzlies blog. Uh, she's a founding editor of All Heart and Hoop City. She does an awesome job representing women sports writers and all sorts of different types of writers out there. Uh, one of my favorites. Glad to have her back on the show, Miss Sharon Shy Brown. Miss Brown, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Well, I am. I'm excited to have you on for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I really wanted you on the show this week is you're one of several Memphis journalists. I know Anthony Sane went, Omari went, uh, obviously the Grind City Media crew headed that way. Uh, You're one of several folks that went to the All-Star festivities in Chicago, the Rising Stars game and other uh, activities all around the weekend there. I'm glad to see that you didn't freeze to death and you were able to come back in one piece I know it was pretty icy and cold in Chicago during the weekend, Uh, but just some general overall takeaways from your time in Chicago from rising stars and everything else that you were a part of uh, with all-star weekend. It 
it was it was very interesting and it was it was fun. Um, I didn't get a chance to go to the Rising Stars practice because I didn't get into Chicago until like after eight, and I had to get to my hotel, shower, do everything, and I didn't get a chance to go. So I went to the game, the Rising Stars game. It was pretty awesome. I really liked that game, and then of course I liked when the Grizzlies players were playing and everything. It was pretty exciting. And then after the game, I was able to get um, video of them and everything. But the the most fun I had was um, on Saturday morning, the media day at the Wintrust Center, where I saw everybody. And I had a chance to interview Matt Barnes and ask him about his time in Memphis. And he said some pretty good things about um, the organization and the fans. That's and great. I, I was able I was able to take a picture of all the top players like one team LeBron and the people who's participating in All Star Saturday Night and Team Giannis. Very cool. I, I I'm really interested in the game itself with the Grizzlies players that you mentioned a moment ago. Uh, obviously, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark participate. Brandon Clark on the world team, Jaron and Jaw on the U.S. team. A lot of people make a lot of the attention that Zion Williamson gets compared to Ja Morant. Obviously, Zion, I think, has played 10 games or so far or so in his NBA career so far, and he's been electric in just about every minute of those appearances. But Ja has been doing it for longer. Most folks agree he's the definitive front runner for the Rookie of the Year award at this stage of the game. You were in the arena. Did you notice any difference between, you know, when Zion had the ball versus when Ja had the ball? Obviously, they had a couple of connections on alley-oops. Uh, was there like a tangible difference when Ja or Zion was doing their thing compared to everybody else on the floor, or was it just kind of an overall appreciation? Because obviously, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, all those folks were involved in the process too. I just think it was just an overall appreciation. I think the fans really loved everybody. People were probably was just happy to be there. No, that's true. And uh, Parker did a good job earlier this week writing for us over at grizzlybearblues.com about how the league is in good hands. I think he hit the nail on the head, and the Grizzlies are fortunate with their three reps from the Rising Stars Challenge. I'm curious as to your take on this, Shy, because uh, obviously you have those three guys, Ja, Jaron, and Brandon. They take part in the All-Star weekend festivities, but it's the first event, right? The first major day, that Friday, where it's the celebrity game, which I feel like the term celebrity is getting looser and looser every year. And then you right. have the the right the rising stars challenge. Um like no no disrespect to Arnie Duncan, but he's a former secretary of education. Like that makes me think they can't find people uh for the game. Arnie Duncan's one of the better players on the floor in that uh celebrity game. But anyway, I digress. Uh John Morant kind of made waves, not in a bad way. I think people like Jaw's confidence. He didn't stick around for the whole weekend because he talked about the first time he was going to be a part of the whole weekend. It was going to be because he was an all-star, and that just kind of speaks to the confidence that we know Ja has in his game and the tenacity he has to kind of prove himself along the way. Uh, combining Ja, Jaron, and Brandon, I, I don't need to necessarily get an exact number from you, but say I put like an over-under number of 5.5 uh, on the amount of total all-star games those three guys make. Where do you kind of see it fitting? Do you see them making you know six or more as a group? So maybe Jaw makes five, Jaron makes two, and maybe Brandon makes one. Do you see it being under? Do you think they don't get the all-star love in the future? Obviously, we're uh, looking into the crystal ball a bit here. 
But let's assume good health. Let's assume progress. Uh, do you think that the Grizzlies, especially in the case of Jaron and Jaw, have multi-time All-Stars on their hands? Because the current record for All-Star appearances is Marcus Gasol at three. I think most folks are kind of expecting John Morant to break that at this stage at some point in his career. Is that fair to say on your end? Yes, most definitely. If he stayed with the Grizzlies, most definitely. What about Jaron? Because Jaron's obviously a unique situation. He'll, I don't necessarily see it as a second fiddle. It looks like Mark and Mike to me, like a 1A, 1B kind of thing. But but Ja is definitely the more tenacious mentally guy. He's got the, he's got the star power. Uh, do you think Jaron will, will be in that mix too? Or do you think it's going to be more of a, a process with him being kind of second to Ja on the all-star stuff? But I think most I think most definitely that Jaron would be because he's like he's a unique player, and he plays good on both both ends of the floor. So I think Jaron's gonna get his uh, proper props too, especially when he's becoming a reliable three point shooter. Right, and so Joe mentioned John Morant, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr., and now post All Star break we're looking forward to adding Justice Winslow to the mix. And Shy, I want to hear your thoughts on how you think. Justice Winslow mixes in with those three guys. Well, I was uh, reading an article today. It was saying something about Dylan Brooks coming off the bench in favor of Justice Winslow. And I didn't really like that part because, you know, like Dylan's been in the starting lineup for um, most of the season. So I I, I don't know if they're going to have Justice Justice to come off the bench since he's, uh, you know, recovering from injury, starting out. And I think maybe he will slide in the starting lineup over Kyle, uh, over Kyle Anderson. But I think he's going to fit in pretty good with the team. Do you think he's going to make it back before the playoffs? Hopefully the playoffs start? If so, do you give like an estimate of when he should be back? Honestly, I am not sure. I know the Grizzlies said that they're working on him to come back. I don't know. Probably He probably will be able to come back probably back in three weeks. I'm not sure. Right. And that's honestly really not a bad estimate to have him back along the lines of that playoff push. And you're right. He might, you know, start off off the bench while the Grizzlies kind of ease him back into the offense. But, hey, even if he's in the offense, in the system as that six-man primary playmaker alongside Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark and D'Anthony Melton, the Grizzlies and Gorgie Dang, for that matter, the Grizzlies could maintain that top ten bench level they, that they've had since D'Anthony Melton has entered rotation. Right, and, and right now, when I, I check the bench um, things today, I think they're at like the top five bench in the league. We're talking with Sharon Shy Brown. Uh, she does a remarkable job over uh, at the Memphis Flyers. She's one of the beat writers. For the Beyond the Arc blog, uh, our own former site manager, Kevin Leip, one of the former writers for Beyond the Arc, uh, Chris Harrington, uh, Matt Preston for a short time, Anthony Sane, lots of great folks have come through and worked at Beyond the Arc. And of course, uh, Sharon and Amy do an awesome job over there. Make sure you're following her on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Sharon Shy Brown. Uh, I was curious as to your take on that bench unit. Uh, I believe you're referencing the article that came out from Parker about the the different lineups that are possible. And and I do agree, and I think Parker would as well, that the ultimate end game here, at least in terms of this season, 
if Memphis gets what they want, it's going to be John Moran mm-hmm. and then Dylan Brooks as the starting two. I think uh, Justice Winslow, if he's healthy, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Jonas Valanciunas. I think that's what they want it to look like. And then depending on crunch time, what they need, maybe you sub in a Brandon Clark for a Jonas or D'Anthony Melton for a Dylan Brooks. Uh, as far as what that could potentially mean for a Kyle Anderson or for a Jonas Valanciunas if they go to Brandon Clark more, I do think, and somebody commented on one of my articles this week, um, the three questions that were pressing on my mind, I literally say in the article, Shy, that Valanchunas is underrated, and I don't know why that is. And obviously, Clark is underrated too. And then they kind of go on a tirade in the comments about why I underrate Jonas Valanciunas. I don't. I see his value. I just also understand that he and Dil- and Brandon Clark, excuse me, bring two entirely different elements to the table in terms of being a big man in the modern NBA. So they both have value. They both matter. But I think for matchup to matchup, like Jonas Valanciunas against the Houston Rockets next week, that may not be the best matchup for Jonas to have to go against Robert Covington uh, at the five when Houston goes extremely small. So when you look at the lineups moving forward, do you think it'll be more matchup based? Do you think that Taylor Jenkins will continue to reward guys like Jonas? Because, again, it's not like Valanciunas is playing poorly. He's playing really well. Same thing with Dylan Brooks. He's been cold the last few games, but that's kind of his game. You know, you expect him to pick it back up a little bit. Do you think it'll continue to be business as usual, even when Justice Winslow works into the rotation? Or do you see him maybe shifting things a little bit? Because Winslow's not, again, I I think the common denominator here that we can all agree on is Winslow's, at least in the eyes of the front office, a key part of this core moving forward. They wouldn't have made the trade they did and kicked the can down the road in terms of free agency without that in mind. All right. Look, I think uh, it's going to be matched up based on how he do the players because it's just like um, if you see when they started winning or whatever, that's what he did. He didn't stick with the same guys. He did, you know, matchup based. That's what he uh, started doing. So I think it all depends on what the matchup is, who he, you know, uh, ends with on with the games, like he's been doing most of the season. We're finishing up here with uh, the shy Mambasita herself, Sharon Shy Brown. Make sure you're following her on Twitter, at Sharon Shy Brown. Again, Grizzlies beat writer for the Memphis Flyers. She does a great job, uh, or did a great job, excuse me, as the founding editor of All Heart and Hoop City. Um, She's one of the more unique and talented folks out there covering the Memphis Grizzlies. Highly recommend you follow her work if you don't already do so. Uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, Shy, the the four-game schedule coming up. It's like uh, getting punched in the mouth right at the beginning after taking a nap or someone pouring water on you after your all-star slumber. Uh, They start out at Sacramento on Thursday night. Then they have the Lakers in the second night of a back-to-back out in L.A. They get to spend a long weekend in L.A., which, side note, we can all agree, the NBA schedule makers (laughs) kind of hooked them up, right? Like the fact that they get to stay in L.A. from Friday – all the way through Monday, and they don't have, like, there's two days in between. Like, they could go out and have some fun Friday and Saturday night. Jaron and uh, Jock right. can't because they can't drink yet, uh, but I, they, there's right. other fun <laughs> things they can do in Los Angeles, I'd imagine. But anyway, uh, the unfun part would maybe be playing arguably the two best teams in the NBA, certainly in the Western Conference, uh, in the Lakers and the Clippers. And then they head to Houston to take on the Rockets in the super unique five-out offense that they run where they don't really have a big man. Um, I was on with Gary Parrish on Wednesday afternoon, and he talked about how there's college teams 
that have bigger lineups consistently than the Rockets do. So Houston really is doing something unique, and it's going to be an interesting thing to behold on Wednesday night the next week, the 26th. So I'm curious, one of the questions that is in an article that's going to be on the blog live Thursday in our roundtable is the most important stretch of games over a span of a week. And I, I kind of did a leading question there, Shy, because I anticipate a lot of people saying this is a big stretch of games for the Grizzlies. Because if they can somehow go two and two in this four-game road trip, I think that's a massive victory for them. And that doesn't sound like a big victory. They're obviously just going 500. But this is probably, and they have some tough games ahead. For my money, this is the toughest stretch of their schedule remaining in terms of who they're playing all on the road, right out of the jump of the all-star break. There's a lot on their plate early on, and it's really going to be interesting to see how they attack it, starting with arguably the most winnable game of the four in Sacramento. So here's the thing. I think the most important game is the first game because you can't take uh, the Kings lightly like they did before. A game they should have won, but they didn't. So I think that's the most important game. And then, like, the the rest of the three, like, happen, you know, it, whatever going to happen is going to happen. But the first, the first game, I think that's the most important one because they should win that game. And then it, when they win that game, they have they can have confidence in the next three games. But two and, going two and two would be great. But we don't, you know, want them to go zero and four. I would agree. I think the thing to avoid, if at all possible, is zero and four. If they go one and three, I'm considering it a mild success. Two and two, I might try to do a backflip. If they somehow were able to go 4-0, and I'm attempting the backflip and probably injuring myself terribly, but I would give it a <laughs> shot. Um, Shai, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy. Uh, it's really cool that you were able to make this happen. Thank you. Great job over at the Memphis Flyer, and congratulations on all the success. We'll definitely have you on again down the road. Okay, thank you. I all right, ladies it. and gentlemen, thank you. When we come back, we'll have Amari Sankova of The Athletic. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. I'm joined by my co-host, GBB Associate Editor Parker Fleming. And at this time, we're very excited to welcome back to the show. It's been too long. He does an awesome job as the Grizzlies beat writer for the Athletic Memphis uh, over at The Athletic. Uh, make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Omari, S-A-N-K-O-F-A, Uh I got a chance to meet him. I covered the Grizzlies-Wizards game in D.C., and he and I were the only Grizzlies media there uh, that weren't directly connected to the team, so I talked to him for a little bit. He does an awesome job with the team. He's a good dude. Mr. Omar Sankofa, how are you, sir? Doing good. Appreciate the nice intro. Uh, it was definitely nice to be able to sign the beat in D.C. Uh, it was pretty wild. You know, I think I was on the beat for Almost a year and a half before we finally met after following each other the whole time. So it was definitely nice to be able to make that happen. That's one of the unique things about my uh, my role at Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, I talk about it pretty openly. You know, we have folks like Parker and other young people that are maybe looking to try to make a career out of this, like yourself. You're so fortunate and you've earned it. You do an awesome job over at The Athletic. Uh, I'm kind of at the peak, you know what I mean? Like there is no, uh, given my location and my education level and all that stuff, uh, I'm a teacher and football coach by trade. Uh, folks that follow my work probably know that. I talk about it a decent amount. But, um, you know, this this is kind of the peak for me. And I work with a lot of people that have used GBB to go to other places and other levels. And it's really fun to watch that and kind of not have that pressure of what's my next step. 
uh, I'm kind of at the top of what I'm capable of, which is cool. Uh, but it, it's always good to see folks like you have success. Uh, and uh, I, I know that you're going to continue to do work, uh, good work, I should say. Uh, one of the interesting things about SB Nation writers is I think I've told this story before, Parker. I don't know. There is a meetup a couple of years ago of folks that are centralized in the D.C. area. Because obviously Vox's uh, central offices are in Washington, D.C. So and I've never been there, um, but my boss is in there, obviously. So he lives in the D.C. area and he set up like a meeting for SB Nation editors uh, in the NBA markets. And I went and like 10 people that run NBA blogs are centered in the D.C. area. Like the guy that runs Celtics blog, uh, Jeff Clark, he is in D.C. Uh, obviously the wizards guy but there's also i think like bright side of the sun and other people you'd be amazed at how many folks you know kind of run the sites for places that they don't actually live in so um memphis is an example of that too with me uh, until they until they fire me which may happen at any moment if we're being <laughs> honest but um oh, omari well, you should have tenure by now so i would hope oh, <laughs> oh geez yeah tenure right uh, I'll keep my true take on my views of Vox Media right now to myself. Um, <laughs> I, that probably would get me fired uh, with all the craziness they've had the last few months with the California stuff. And anyway, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Omari, you did a great job covering All Star Weekend. We had Shy uh, Sharon Brown on in the first mm. segment, and she covered as well. I know uh, for the Memphis Flyer. Obviously, you cover for the Athletic, and your coverage was fun to follow. Anthony Sane was there. He was fun to follow. I believe Evan Barnes, the commercial appeal, who's covering for uh, David Cobb after he left uh, interim basis as the Grizzlies beat writer. Anyway, a lot of Memphis media descended on Chicago. I was curious as to just your general takeaways. I asked the same thing to Shy. Uh, what you thought of the weekend, um, anything in terms of how Chicago hosted it. They got rave reviews for how they handled everything from the Kobe Bryant tribute to all those other levels. Uh, before we look ahead, Take a look back on what that weekend was, especially pertaining to the Memphis Grizzlies. For sure. I mean, I think just one, and that was my first All-Star weekend, so that was my my first time experiencing it all. It was just cool to have so many people sort of just in the same place. I mean, not just, obviously, the big names uh, in in, uh, the United States as far as the NBA. Uh, A lot of national people, you know, some I hadn't met, some I hadn't yet, so it's cool to be able to uh, meet certain people up there, uh, but also internationally, uh, it was a lot of outlets, a lot, a lot of reporters. Like really, All Star Weekend is one of the few times they have per year to get interviews with some of these players. Uh, so it's pretty crazy uh, the media availabilities. Uh, I think Friday morning was when they had the availability for the Rising Stars Challenge, and the crowds were Trey Young, Zion Williamson, and John Morant were insane. Uh, John probably had. 10 cameras surrounding him, uh, probably 40, 50 reporters. I didn't even bother asking him a question uh, because I, you know, I just wasn't going to be able to do it. You know, you're shouting over like two classrooms full of people essentially trying to get questions and it's really a complete mess. Uh, so actually, uh, Jared Jackson Deer was next to him and uh, Jared's crowd wasn't quite as big. He had maybe two or three cameras and, and <laughs> 20 people. And, uh, you know, he sees me and he's like, oh, what's up, Amari? <laughs> and uh, it was just kind of like on a pivot, like, yeah, so you're not talking to Zion, so I guess you're talking to me, huh? <laughs> I was just like, hey, what's going on there? Uh, you know, but it's, it was definitely cool to see how uh, popular John Moran is, uh, you know, for him to be pretty much on that same plane 
as a Zion, obviously number one pick, big star coming out of Duke, and then Trey Young, who was voted into uh, the actual All-Star game in the East, and as emerged as one of the NBA's brightest young stars, uh, Josh was pretty much right there with them. So uh, if there's any, any way I can highlight uh, how big Josh become popularity-wise, then that's pretty much it. Um, beyond that, I mean, whole weekend was cool. Uh, I definitely didn't miss the uh, you know, you you get the, the commentary during the dunk contest from uh, Shaq and Kenny and Charles and the whole TNT crew. Uh, you, you don't hear it live in the arena, uh, so that was a little bit of a bummer. But at the same time, I mean, I think pound for pound, this was one of the best All-Star weekends we've had in a long time. Uh, that was probably the second best dunk contest we've gotten in the last 11 years. You know, of course, with 2016 being number one. Uh, the three-point shootout was definitely one of the better ones with what he had coming from behind. Um, and then the actual All-Star game, of course, was the best All-Star game we've gotten since he knows when. I mean, the game itself was incredible. And unfortunately, it took off uh, Sunday afternoon and got back to Memphis probably around 5 p.m., so I didn't actually see the game live. But uh, next year, I hopefully will be there for the game because I now see that uh, that's not something I should probably skip. I mean, in fairness to you, there are no Grizzlies involved. And I'm sure it's a long weekend, a lot of sitting and waiting. I saw somebody, because everybody tweets out pictures of themselves, you know, on the court or looking at the arena or in front of the bean if you're not going to freeze to death. And, you know, there's a lot of fun things about the event, but I, I wish I could give credit to the media member. And you may you may have seen it, Omari. Uh, somebody tweeted out what, what All-Star Weekend actually looks like. And I, I know you and Parker are much more familiar with the media spaces than me. I've covered over my you know five or six years doing this, uh, or seven now, I guess. Goodness gracious. But anyway, uh, you guys cover on a more consistent basis, of course. You know there's desks and there's setups where people can write. And it was just like rows and rows of folding chairs and like power strips and Ethernet cables. And the person said that it, it looked and smelled the way that you think it did. <laughs> Just um, <laughs> maybe not as beautiful in all parts, especially when you actually had to get down to work and, and focus in on the task at hand. Well, you know, it's a little haphazard. You just have so many people there at the right. same time that, uh, you know, you're kind of working on top of each other a little bit. Uh, like logistically, I'm sure it's a nightmare for the NBA to put it all together because, uh, you know, you have the actual arena of Chris United Center where the games are taking place, but then you have Winchrest Arena uh, where the practices were, where a lot of the player availabilities were, where the celebrity game was, and you're busting people from the media hotel to these different places. And uh, I mean, you like, I would say probably there's five, six, maybe seven hotels that probably hosted, I would say, 80% of all the people that were there. And then, you know, the rest of the people probably just did their own thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, a ton of people. And, you know, from a coverage standpoint, it can, it can make it challenging because you have a question you want to ask me that you just can't ask them, uh, you know, not from lack of effort, but just because you have a, you know, like a 20-minute window and 200 people passing by all trying to get their own question in. Uh, so, I mean, whatever it, it, it may be, uh, it, it definitely highlights. I mean, I mean, one just how popular the league is. If you have so many people from so many different countries who come and, and you know and want their part of it, essentially. But next year, I think I'll definitely have a, a different game plan as far as my own coverage plan because uh, it's about the easiest event to cover for those reasons. Everybody gets asked this question, or at least I've heard a version of this question. You know, listening to podcasts and radio shows. 
every year around this time, uh, whether it was Chris Vernon back in the day on 92.9, and obviously Jason and John are in that time slot now, and I have the chance to be on with Gary Parrish, and you know you got Wolo and uh, Stats and Middays, all these different shows. It's always a talking point in Memphis Sports Talk Radio. Could Memphis host an all-star game? You saw it firsthand. You have the benefit of being an outsider to Memphis. You know, there's a lot of folks that grow up in Memphis, and and I talk about the Memphis bubble a lot. You're one of those guys that's kind of like me. You're outside the Memphis bubble coming in. Do you think Memphis could actually have the infrastructure in place to host an all-star game down the road? Maybe a ways off. I know that Memphis is adding a lot of stuff downtown. Their hotel's being built now. Uh, the Prince District's supposed to be a huge redevelopment. You know, they're uh, building some stuff up in the area in between FedEx Forum and AutoZone Park. So I think Memphis will get to the point to where it can. But as of now, I just don't know if Memphis has the infrastructure. Uh, you know, you don't have a second basketball arena outside of FedEx Forum where, you know, you could kind of host that auxiliary stuff. You know, I'm, I don't think the league would necessarily want to, you know, bus people from FedEx Forum all the way down to Lander Center. I mean, I, I think that's just a little bit excessive. Uh, you know, and, and then from that, just to the, the hotel space you need, I mean, again, like Chicago has some pretty massive hotels in the downtown area, and uh, not everybody can even stay in the media hotel. It's like the Sheraton Grand. You know, it's like a 24th floor hotel that was at capacity, and you had a lot of spillover from there. Uh, I think I think this needs a little bit more, uh, but just not quite there yet. Uh, maybe if they added the basketball court back to the pyramid and there's some other things, they could kind of finagle it. But uh, as of now, I, I just think this would have to build some more stuff up to get to that point. I think that's a fair and reasonable response, Amari. Good job. Uh, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I think that I'm going to test that again. I, I can always kind of tell your Memphis bubbleism uh, from responses to questions like this. Uh, John Morant, and I talked to Shy about this in the first segment, famously, or maybe infamously, depending on how you view Morant, most folks love him, uh, said that he was leaving All-Star Weekend early, similar to you, uh, but maybe for different reasons. He said he wanted to see the whole weekend when he earned it, essentially, like when he was an all-star himself. Maybe he's only a year or two away from that. Who knows? My question for you is the the all-time record for Grizzlies all-star appearances is three by Marcus All. Do you think John Morant breaks that record? And if so, you don't have to give me an exact year, but how many seasons do you think it would take for him to do that? Because you got to remember, Steph Curry's coming back. Clay Thompson's coming back. Obviously, Luka Doncic isn't going anywhere. Zion Williamson uh, wasn't an all-star this past year, but you'd imagine he will be in the future. There's going to be spots filling up as some of these guys age out. How many all-star games do you think John Morant makes as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies, assuming he's here for, what, at least the next eight years until he hits unrestricted free agency? And that's worst-case scenario. Maybe he's here longer than that. I think think, uh, John Morant would definitely get more than three in his career. I think you look at the fact that he got 700,000 votes uh, for the All-Star game this year, uh, which is seven times more than Trey Young got last year. You know, and then Trey Young, I think, he got it more than $2 million. I want to say he got close to $3 million, but I haven't looked at the number in a few weeks. But a uh, pretty uh, significant rise from year one to year two in popularity for him. Uh, and I think it's not outside there a possibility that uh, Jock could also see uh, really big rise of this popularity. Now, I don't know if it's going to be big enough to supplant guys, you know, like like you mentioned, uh, 
Steph Curry, who will likely be healthy next season, and then you also have uh, Clay Thompson, who will be healthy, healthy, and of course he's a popular guy. Uh, stuff to say. Uh, you look at a guy like Chris Paul, like he was in the All-Star game this year. Uh, he was the coach of Bottom Man, and that was his first appearance in four years. That appearance was 2016. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard, you know, like a, another guy who is obviously a great player, but kind of seems to be on the cusp of uh, making the All-Star game some years. Uh, like he made it 14, 15, and then actually missed it uh, in uh, 2016 and 2017. So I think part of it comes down to how good the Grizzlies actually become. If they're playing a playoff team, then it's easy to see job being a, uh, you know, like either he gets voted in just off the, the fan vote, uh, which I think he's capable of doing that for sure. Uh, but if he doesn't get to that point, then if the Grizzlies are good, then I'm sure the, the coaches would, would love to vote him in. Because uh, Dwayne Casey actually said this year that, that he thought the coaches would give him some love this year. How much love did he get from coaches? I don't know, but they certainly paid attention to his rookie year. Uh, so I, th- I think three, like I would, I would guess with a five and done, he'll get a minimum of that. Uh, as far as an actual year, well, he'll probably get that done. I mean, that's that's really hard to say. You know, I think a lot of it just comes down to how good the Grizzlies are. Uh, it's just rebuild, keeps going according to plan, and they're pretty a playoff team. And you know, I think that would increase his odds significantly. Uh, something happens and that's not the case, and he's more in that, uh, you know, like Devin Booker, De'Aaron Fox, mode. given he'll be more popular than those guys, but still, uh, that would make his path a lot harder. So he's going to need uh, the Grizzlies, essentially, to kind of help him out and be good uh, for the next decade. Right, Omari. And in the last segment, we talked with Shy about the acquisition of Justice Winslow, and his eventual role in the team alongside John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark. And so with Gorgie Dang, he's another one that's kind of popular because the Grizzlies finally have a backup five. They no longer have to play Brandon Clark out as a backup center. They now have Gorgie Dang. And it's easy to look at his price tag and be like, eh, how does he fit here? He's a lot of money. But how do you see the short-term and perhaps long-term fit here with Gorgie Dang? Uh, short short term, I think I think he has a pretty clear role. Uh, he just he, he has extra insurance at that center spot. Which, if there were any death weaknesses this season, I think it was that. Uh, we have nights where Jaren gets himself in a foul trouble and isn't playing seven eight minutes in the first half, and uh, then you know especially this past month where Bruno got uh, hurt and then of course traded a couple weeks ago. Uh, you're playing Judah at the five. You're playing Collinson at the five. You're playing Brennan Clark four minutes at the five. And none of those guys are really centers. Uh, even Brandon Clark's been significantly better at the four than at the five this season. You know, I, I just don't know if Brandon Clark's in, in NBA five. Like, he played that at Gonzaga, but, you know, I think at 6'8", 215 pounds, uh, it's going to be extremely natural dependent for him. So, on those nights when Jared Jackson's here gets into foul trouble, which, you know, will likely happen more this season. Um, Gorgie Zhang, like, he fits in perfectly right there, the century third center, who occasionally is going to have to play. 20 plus minutes a game. Uh, I thought he looked really good against Portland last week. Uh, I think he only played 12 to 10 minutes, if that. Uh, but he looked really comfortable defensively, moved really well. Uh, he, he just looks like an overall solid player. You know, he can even shoot it a little bit. Uh, he, he gives you a lot of the same things you get from Jonas Valanciunas, but he may actually be a better defender than Jonas Valanciunas just because he can move in space better. And this is off of a one-game sample size. I'm not, you know, pretending I watch him every night in uh, Minnesota, but he did look really good that night. He looked better than Jonas that night. So I think, I think Dang, in the short term, will certainly have a role uh, just in that uh, next season. You figure if Jen still settles with foul trouble, then 
Uh, Terry Jenkins got the call on Gorgie Zhang's uh, number more often than not. And now you're getting 48 minutes of good uh, play at the center position every single night. So obvious role there. Uh, beyond that, he's a $17 million expiring next season. And uh, I don't really know if he has a role in this team long term. Uh, you know, this front office seems to like have expiring contracts. You could, you could skip them and relay them into uh, like further assets, whether you're getting a draft pick back or, of course, this past trade deadline with uh, Justice Winslow. Uh, maybe there's another Winslow like trade uh, lurking out there a year from now. Uh, I guess we'll see, but I think he will have more utility as a trade trip, uh, trade chip this time next year than he will maybe as a, a uh, bench piece. And you have to remember that they're going. Obviously, they have the Utah first round pick. They have the excuse me, the Golden State Warriors first round pick. They have a plethora of second round picks. That Gorgie Dang contract paired with those selections, that probably gets you somebody pretty good. I don't know if that's enough to get you a Buddy Heald or a Zach Levine, or you, you'd probably have to tack on a third first-rounder to get into the Bradley Beal-Devin Booker realm. But I, you mentioned it there, Omari, and I think it's an important point to make, and it's a compliment to Zach Kleiman in his front office. You, you see them positioning themselves to be ready if something happens that is unforeseen. Like Chicago probably doesn't want to trade Zach Levine. It's probably he's probably their best young prospect in terms of value on a contract, in terms of his ability to score the basketball. He's still very young. Uh, Devin Booker, obviously, I don't think Phoenix wants to move on from him. Uh, Bradley Beal, I know Washington doesn't want to move on from him, but I'm I'm obsessed with the idea of Beal on Beal Street. So let's say you know this time eleven months from now. Bradley Beal is languishing next to John John Wall, who is not what he once was. The Wizards are continuing to spin their wheels. They fire Scott Brooks. None of this is outside of the realm of possibility. They want to get off of that big contract because they're not going to get off of the John Wall deal. And Memphis is offering two or three first-round picks because they will have conveyed the pick to Boston this year. That's a near lock at this point. And that... Because of that, they'll have a pick of their own, the Utah pick, the Golden State pick, and expiring contract in Gorgie Jang. And in theory, if Justice Winslow isn't working out the way that he should have been, Justice Winslow's last year on his deal is an expiring uh, as a team option, excuse me. So they could opt out of that. They could get first rounders and get off of the Bradley Beal money, and Memphis could acquire, holy crap, Bradley Beal. Uh, it's not likely. But I think that this front office puts themselves in a spot to take advantage of the misfortune or the mismanagement of other organizations in a much superior or a more superior way than certainly the last front office. And in terms of the NBA, I think they are a Golden State, Boston Celtics kind of light years mentality there. They're, it seems like they're a chess move or two ahead of everybody else on the board. Absolutely. And we saw, of course, uh, they'll make some of their moves last year as far as how they acquired Josh Jackson and Jesse Melton for, uh, you know, asset-wise, not as much. And then, of course, you got equal dollar for free. Uh, so that's the advantage of having a pick surplus is is that, you know, it's probably beneficial to get off of some of those picks if it means that you can get a franchise guy like a Bill or like a, a, a Jack Levine or whoever it might be. Uh, you know, will they be willing to do that? Will that opportunity come up? We don't know, but uh, they have the expiring contracts to make such a deal work. So I'd be curious to see how that goes down. I like that Bradley Bill is pretty still deceptively young. He seems like he's a guy who should be 
you're like 28, 29, 30, but he's only 26 right now. You know, like right. that makes sure he'll be 27. Uh, you look long term, like, yeah, he's six years older than John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr. But, you know, somebody say it's healthy, he's still a guy who'll play at a high level, you know, for at least four or five more years. Uh, after if you were to acquire him next year and then get him to resign, I think he's a free agent actually next summer. So uh, that'll be too risky for the Grizzlies to give up uh, assets for him. But if he buys them, then perfect. Uh, so that's the type of deal that they're in position to do if they want to pursue that. Uh, and depending on where this core is at, uh, maybe you do want to accelerate the rebuild a little bit more. I think it'll be actually, I think it'll be tougher for him to make the playoffs next year than uh, this year just because Golden State will be healthy. But you know, if they surpass the expectations again, then sure, maybe at that point, you know, you get a front office, you know, you have two 21 year olds playing at a high level. You say, okay, let's go ahead and add somebody to this court now and let's try to make some sort of run. I think that's very fair. I agree with you on your take that this is their window to make the playoffs now. It will be more challenging next year. Golden State is that boogeyman kind of hovering in the horizon. We're finishing up here with Amari Sankofa. He's the Grizzlies beat writer for the Athletic Memphis. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already, at Omari, S-A-N-K-O-F-A. We'll get you out of here on this, Omari, and I'm going to let you go last. I'm going to make myself and Parker go first. Uh, We are doing a roundtable over at Grizzly Bear Blues. It's going to go live on Thursday, and it is going to finish with a group of our writers having to predict how the Grizzlies season is going to end. A lot has been made about the schedule, how difficult it is. We talked about that with Shy in the first segment, and I think that's all fair. Uh, but I do think that these Grizzlies have earned some credit, at least with me, in terms of they're not a bad basketball team at all. In fact, if you are what your record suggests you are, they're a good basketball team. And in the year 2020, they're a very good basketball team. So I do think that we need to continue to adapt adapt to that, myself definitely at the front of the line, and look at the schedule and say, yeah, these teams are good, but so is Memphis. So teams should be looking at their schedule and saying, oh, crap, we got to play the Grizzlies on a Tuesday night in March. That's going to be tough, you know? So uh, when Parker and I did our preseason preview, uh, we had a hot take session at the end. We were supposed to each give a hot take. And my hot take was that the Grizzlies were going to have an above 500 record coming out of the All-Star break. While obviously the season has made the schedule a little tougher than I thought it would be, I stand by the idea of progress. They've shown that progress earlier than I thought they would. And I do think that that definition of progress against this difficult season or this difficult schedule, I should say, would be a 15 and 13 finish. So that's what I currently have them at. I have them finishing the last 28 games with a record of 15 and 13. That would mean that they have a overall record of 43 and 39, and that will certainly be good enough, in my opinion, for the eight seed in the Western Conference. So I think that that's what it's going to look like. Parker, what do you think it's going to look like? Um, I had them hovering around 500, probably around that 14, 14, 15, 13 um, record. I don't, you know, it's very easy to suggest that, you know, this last stretch is tough. They do, by the metrics, have the toughest strength of schedule. Uh, they have a lot of road games. But I'm not going to discount the fact that, for one, they have a 500 road record. It's not like they're – even the Philadelphia 76ers are 9-19 and 19 on the road as we're recording this podcast. Um, 
they do have some tough road games. You know, they got the Lakers, the Clippers, the Rockets twice, Utah, Milwaukee, and Toronto, all after the All-Star break. But there is a week, a two, a week and a half, two week stretch that I'm really eyeing as okay, this could be the one that put like catapults them into like near playoff lock status. Over the course of 10 days, they will have the Atlanta Hawks, Brooklyn Nets, Dallas Mavericks, Atlanta Hawks, Orlando Magic at home, and then the Portland Trailblazers on the road. And that might be a more winnable game depending on the health status of Damian Lillard, who was hurt last week's game. So you know, who knows if you go f- four and two, five and one, or heck, if you get on a six-game winning streak, that season looks a whole lot different, and you could actually go into April not having to sweat as much about losing your playoff berth. I think that's all fair. I don't necessarily disagree. And that stretch is pretty important, uh, especially that Orlando game. And that sounds crazy to say, why is a Tuesday night game against the Orlando Magic an important game? You got to win the ones that you're supposed to win if you want to be a playoff team. And and that's going to be a major measuring stick for the Grizzlies. Amari, we'll get you out of here on a twofold question because I can't believe this. I left out our Grizzlies or Grizzly Bear Blues live question of the day. I'm embarrassed by that. I'll get it here at the end. We'll answer it with Omari. But first, staying on this topic, uh, how do you see the Grizzlies season finishing out in terms of their overall record? Assuming good health, uh, I should add. Assuming good health, of course. Uh, 28 games left. I think they will go 13 and 15 for a final record of 41 and 41. And I say that because their final 14 games of the season are a gauntlet. Like it's completely crazy. Uh, you have. OKC, Milwaukee, back-to-back games against the Pelicans. Boston, back-to-back games against the Raptors. The Knicks. And then you have Dallas, Portland, Denver, OKC, Philly, Houston. So 10 of those teams, <laughs> if the season ended today, would be in the playoffs. Uh, three of those teams, you have two games, well, I guess two of those teams, but you have three games against the Pelicans, back-to-back. And then Portland need to beat the Grizzlies to try and catch them for the AC. So those are 13 games of the 14 you really can't miss. The Knicks are the only break in there. Uh, it's just an, an, an insane stretch. I mean, they have the hardest schedule uh, remaining in the NBA, and that's basically why, because you're playing 13 teams that are either currently playoff teams or need to beat you to sneak into the playoffs. Uh, if they go 500 over that stretch, then that would be phenomenal. But, I mean, realistically speaking, especially given that uh, six of those games are on the road. It's just, it's just tough. You know, it's, it's, it's a really tough stretch. Uh, but you finish with a forty-one to forty-one overall record. You know, I think that's that's phenomenal. Uh, that would still, I think, likely be good enough to get you into the playoffs, given that they currently have a four-game lead over, I believe, uh, Portland for that eighth seed. And you're still probably fine. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think thirteen, fifteen is probably. Uh, a little bit more likely, uh, depending on how they, they handle those road games. I'm with you on 41 being the magic number. I think that gets them in. If they're 41 and 41, I think they're the eighth seed. And last one here, Omari, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, the question of the day, again, apologies for uh, bringing it out here late. Uh, we talked about Justice Winslow with Shy in the first segment. Uh, Parker did. 
And the question of the day was, the Grizzlies have 28 games remaining in this regular season, as we just got done discussing. Uh, and how many of those games do you anticipate Justice Winslow playing? Uh, one of the options was zero, and 9% of people think that Winslow's not going to play at all this season. Uh, 15 to 27 games, so playing over half of the remaining slate, got second place with 13%. That means 78% of the responders, and thanks to the over 230 folks that voted, said that he's going to play in 1 to 14 games. I think that's a good estimate, considering maybe he doesn't play in back-to-backs. If he doesn't start up until the first or second week of March, he'll probably be on a minutes restriction. It's going to be a fascinating on-the-court example of how the Grizzlies view this season because obviously Justice Winslow if he's healthy helps the Grizzlies now but at the same time there's a chemistry you have Kyle Anderson starting it'll mess up the rotation somebody comes out of it most likely Josh Jackson which theoretically speaking doesn't hurt you that much but they're still you know moving and shaking and it's a truly new piece guy who's new to the scheme new to the city uh so he may be a long-term uh, core starter next to these guys, these the John Morants and Jaron Jackson Juniors of the world. But in the short term, it's going to be really interesting to see how they implement him. How many games do you see Justice Winslow actually playing for Memphis in the regular season, Omari? So the Grizzlies uh, do believe that Justice will play this season. Uh, Zach Clavin told the media uh, last Monday that uh, they're confident that he will be back. Uh, so my guess would be if we make a few assumptions, like I would assume that he would not return on his four-game road trip. And I will assume that he will probably not play back-to-backs, just considering how the Grizzlies handled John Moran and Brandon Clark when they were nursing their injuries earlier in the season. So I would guess that he would make his debut on March 7th against the Hawks, because that would be the second game of a back-to-back, uh, road home back-to-back, actually. Uh, so they would probably need a fresh body to kind of keep the other guys' minutes a little bit lower. And it's a home game, so it, it just it just feels like good good timing. So if he doesn't play any back-to-backs after that, they have two after that, uh, Justice Winslow would play 17 games uh, for the Grizzlies this season. So that is my guess on the record, uh, March 7th, when he plays 17 games. Mind meld, uh, you're spoiler alerting. If you haven't read the the roundtable for Grizzly Bear Blues uh, dot com yet, that's going to be my response. I, I that's my exact projection. I think he comes at uh, right. comes out March seventh. So a mind meld there, which is a good thing because it's a good mind to be melded to. Mister Omari Sankofa, great Grizzlies beat writer for the Athletic Memphis. Follow him on Twitter if you don't already do so at Omari Sankofa. Omari, thank you so much for your time, your work over at The Athletic, and obviously we'll have you back on down the road. Yeah, appreciate that, man. Thanks for All having right. me on. Absolutely. For Omari, for Shy, for Parker, I am Joe Mullinax. Thank you guys so much for making us a part of your Grizzly Bear Blues uh, .com experience. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast network. Subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, anywhere you can get a podcast you can get GBB Live. Again, thanks to our guests, Shai and Omari. Thanks to my co-host, Parker. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.